Okay, so it's official. Okay, so hi all. This is Matt, one of your hosts. Uh, welcome to the first bonus episode of Docs Till Death. Um, and we'll be talking to a special guest in a few moments. Uh, before I introduce him, uh, I'd just like to acknowledge that we, that's uh, Pete, Jeff, and myself, Jeff mm -hmm. isn't here, uh, approach this podcast as if we are three jesters in the court of punk and hardcore, where we like to uh, make light of the world that many people, including ourselves, take very, very seriously. Uh, and for that reason, it is not only something of an honor, but also really weird to have someone who we can kind of count as the aristocracy, uh, someone who was there in the early 80s when all this stuff was going down. Um, so with um, so who I'm talking about is Drew Stone, the director of All Ages, the movie we discussed in our most recent episode. Um, Drew not only directed All Ages, he is sort of the impresario of the New York Hardcore uh, Chronicles movie and series, uh, as well as another, a number of other film projects um, that we hope to have a chance to discuss in the next little bit. Um, but without any further ado, uh, welcome, Drew, and thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Can I curse on your show? Of course we, you we, can. We, we explicit it. We make it explicit. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, thanks. thanks for having me. And uh, look, you know, I, I'm always uh, excited and, and willing and to talk about um, filmmaking and, and my films. And, uh, you know, so I appreciate you having me. Excellent. Thanks. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so we, go ahead, Pete. Well, I was going to say, why don't we start from the beginning? You know, wondering, we don't know a ton about your past and it, it didn't necessarily come through in, in the movie that we watched, but wondering, sure. you know, your origin story, how did you get into punk and hardcore and its, and its initial appeal for you? Well, uh, 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 how I got into punk and hardcore or how I got into the film business? Or punk both. and hardcore first. We're going to go there. And then yeah, we'll get we have, there. We'll, yeah, okay. that's so, the punk and, so the punk and hardcore thing is interesting and, and has confused a couple people. Um, I'm born and raised in New York City, um, born in Queens, and uh, grew up in a couple of the other boroughs, and sort of had this um, uh, teenage uh, life uh, through high school, uh, growing up in New York City, and I, I always sort of consider myself part of like this blank generation. Um, I was born at, a, at an odd time. Um, I'm, I was like too young for the 60s thing. And, and and too old for the for the like MTV thing, like I fall into this you know this sort of weird, you know, being a teenager in the late seventies thing, you know, and I, I kind of look at it like I was part of this like blank generation, you know, and um, I went to Emerson College in Boston to study acting. I did some acting when I was a kid and a teenager. I always loved it. I did some modeling. Uh, my dad was a film director. He directed uh, a lot of commercials, did a documentary with Muhammad Ali. Um, so I grew up kind of around film sets. Uh, my dad wasn't a Hollywood guy. He was like, you know, he grew up in an orphanage in the Lower East Side. And um, so I was exposed to the film business early on. And, and also just as, as a side note, for me, you know, job always meant something in the film business. At a young age, um, I was driving, you know, film trucks. I was work, working in a movie equipment rental house. I learned how to repair equipment. 
I did deliveries in a van, you know, shuttling around to movie equipment rental houses. You know, I, I was a PA. I was, I did the PA, you know, so, you know, all this kind of happened in my teenage years. Um, and in those years, I was into music. Um, of course, um, I was into rock music, um, you know, sort of the, the, the usual suspects, you know, coming up in, 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 in the, in the, in the 70s, you know, The Who, uh, Rolling Stones, the Allman Brothers Band. Um, I loved Frank Zappa. I'm wearing a Frank Zappa shirt right <laughs> now. Um, I liked The Grateful Dead uh, when, I was a, when I was a teenager. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, you know, like all that kind of shit growing yeah. up. And interestingly enough, I've mentioned this before that um, where I grew up in the Bronx at the time, like Southern rock was huge. And, and I'm not just talking about like, I, I didn't grow up like in a white neighborhood. I, you know, I, I, I went to, I went to um, JFK high school, you know, public high school and, and like black kids, Puerto Rican kids, like we'd all hang out. We loved Southern rock, you know, a real, really interesting, like pocket, like looking back now, like what was up with that? Like we fucking loved, like I'm talking like Marshall Tucker band, the yeah, outlaws, yeah. Charlie Daniels, like you know, in the Bronx, like what the fuck, you know? So I got into Emerson college and um, I went up there. And uh, in the summer of uh, 1981, I was in the uh, cafeteria as soon as I got up there. And, um, you know, I came up, I went up to Emerson College thinking, you know, with an attitude thinking I was going to be the next James Dean or whatever, you know, just like, oh, this acting thing's going to be easy. I'm just going to be cool and act like myself. And, and, and uh, it's just going to be a big get over. But as, as soon as I got there, I was in the... Um, cafeteria in the Fensgate dormitory. Um, and I saw there was this guy with, with, with his head shaved and uh, it was very, I was sort of intrigued and somebody I was with introduced me to him. And I was like, yo, no, nobody shaved their heads back then. Let's put mm -hmm. it in perspective. Sure. In 1981 in Boston, like the only people that shaved their heads were like, you know, um, Marines and psychopaths, you know, like <laughs> Boston is a rough and tumble place, you know, like, yeah, fucking shave your head. Like what the, f what, what are you like? What are you, what are you like mentally ill? You know? So I meet this guy and I'm talking to him and he's telling me, you know, I said, well, like, what are you into? And he says, hardcore. I said, hardcore, like, hardcore, like what? Like, what do you mean? Like, like Joan Jett, the B-52s, Blondie, swear to God, that's what I said. Yeah. I remember it to this day. That was my reference point. Joan Jett, Blondie, the B-52s. I like, I didn't have like hardcore, like hardcore punk. Isn't that like punk hardcore? Like B-52s, you know? Um, he said, no, black, you ever hear a black flag? And black flag, like the bug spray, you know? And we started, we were talking and he said, hey, look, you know, um, there's a show going on this weekend. And uh, why don't you, instead of me trying to explain this thing, why don't you just come with me to this show? So that weekend came along and me and him went to this, this, um, this show. It was on a Boylston street, um, in, in a building that, um, in sort of a rundown building, um, on the fifth floor in a place called media workshop. And it was just like a, a like a, a bare kind of open art space thing that this guy, Kevin Porter, uh, who I met, you know, got to know later, 
you know, it was just sort of like this ramshackle art space where, you know, one week he'd be doing this, one week he'd do that. So I go, I go to the show, I go to the show with him and um, the first show I ever saw was SSD control. And that was the, I think the third show they ever played. And there was like 20, 25 kids there. And, and it was kids my age. So mm -hmm. it, it really spoke to me. And cause like I said, at this point, what, what's my reference? The Rolling Stones? Like that was like idol worship. You know, I, it was a big disconnect there between um, audience and stage. And this was a bunch of kids my age doing it, you know, right there in front of me. And there was a little bit of, um, we can call it slam dancing. At the time, it didn't, it, that's not what it was called. Sure. But, you know, a couple kids, you know, you know bouncing around some, and I just jumped right in. And, and and got into it. it. It was a lot of fun, you know. And um, when 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 the uh, when the show was over, the guitar the guitar player um, took took off his uh, guitar and and approached me, came right up to me, and wanted to know who I was and and what was I doing there. And 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 I don't mean this. And I didn't feel threatened. Yeah, it was, it was actually I was somewhat. It, it was somewhat like honored you know like wow yeah. the band actually wants to know who i right, am right. because it was so rare for there to be a new face you know this is their third show i think it was 20 kids there 25 kids like yo who's this guy who just jumped right in the mix you know so that guitar player uh, his name's al barrell mm -hmm. he, he he plays you know an ssd control and like soon after that i just fell right into it you know it was kids my age and Th things were just really building and building. Like I kind of, I kind of got in at the ground level there and, you know, you know, uh, SSD control, gang green, Jerry's kids, the FUs. These are the early bands, you know? Um, and just as a side note, the person that brought me to my first show who wasn't going to Emerson college at the time was Jack choke Kelly, who, <laughs> who sings for Slapshot now yeah. And um, he's the one that I met in that cafeteria that brought me to my first show. So what happened after that was I kind of fell in with the SSD control Boston crew. I shaved my head. Um, you know, there, there wasn't there wasn't um, a lot of us. And I was off and running, man. And that, that's sort of how, you know, how I, I, you know, I was part of the crew. I'm thanked on, on the kids will have their say. Uh, we'd go road tripping everywhere. I started a band called uh, the Mighty CEOs. Uh, we played a bunch of shows. Um, I was up there for two years. And then I came back. Then I, I kind of crapped out of college and then came back to New York and started a band called the High and the Mighty and then played a bunch of shows and, you know, ended up uh, including shows with Antidote and ended up joining Antidote. And then from all the connections that I made from being in the bands, I started doing music videos and had some success doing music videos and then eventually extreme sports films and then eventually uh, documentary films. Very cool. Very cool. That was that. That's a great person. That's, that's awesome. Good, that's, yeah, that's a better story than either any of us have. So <laughs> I was, um, I was, can I just ask a question? So yeah. when you were at Emerson uh, in the summers, are you going back to New York? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. It's a good question. Um, so I went up. The, I went up there. Well, I was only there. I mean, in my two years there, I yeah. went up at the end of the summer. I was, you know, I went back, you know, uh, 
I'd go back and forth, but not really, not, not too much. But I do remember this. The first time I think I went back was Christmas Vacation, uh, which is still 1981. Mm-hmm. And I picked up the Village Voice, and I saw that Black Flag was playing the Mud Club. And I didn't know anybody in New York at the time, but I, I borrowed my, my dad's car, and I went down there. And I, I, it was scary. You know, the Mud Club, it, it, was, it was like, you know, New York was hard back then. And uh, I, I went and I saw I had to see Black Flag. You know, I, it was like, oh, you know, like that's like the Holy Grail. And yeah. I, saw, I saw Black Flag. You know, Henry Rollins just started singing for them. And it, was, it left a, a profound uh, impression. But I would, I would go back. But, but it seems like in retrospect, I would go back more with Boston bands. Like, like SSD Control will go down and play A7. You know, SSD Control will go down and play CBGB's. Um, you know, um, FUs, I did a road trip with them. We, we would road trip to uh, DC. There's the infamous uh, Chancery shows The SSD Control played with um, uh, Iron Cross and Government Issue. Um, I had Brian Baker on my show recently. He was playing a Government Issue and we were talking about that. It was cool. You know, so, but I would come back to New York, you know, but I started to see things in a different prism. I was a hardcore kid in 1981 now, you know? Yeah, that's, I guess that was what I was curious about of, you know, I think Matt and I both, you know, everybody's has either that person who kind of got you into punk or there was a way, there was that gateway. And, um, you know, for me in the town I grew up in, it was, it was right there. And so I wasn't traveling between from Boston back to New York. And so I was curious as to, was it, you know, when you were going back to New York, was it easy to then find that community people, you know, once, yeah, once you were already exposed in Boston or not. It it was weird. You know, up until recently, Vinny Stigma thought I was like a Boston guy. I'm like, what the (laughs) fuck, bro? I, you know, like uh, it's, it's straight. Even now it still comes up. Some people think like, I'm, I'm like born and raised in Boston. Like I went to Boston for like, not like, not even two years to go to school, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But like I said, from coming down, and doing like A7 and all that stuff. That's where I initially met Roger Moret from Agnostic Front, Vinny Stigma, you know, Jimmy G from Murphy's Law, Ray B's. Because, yo, we go to the A7 a lot. Ray B's is working security. Uh, Jimmy Gestapo was, was DJing. Uh, Doug Holland from Kraut was the bartender. You know, like, so I, got, I met those guys. And then when I sort of transitioned back to New York and got the High and the Mighty together, the first place we started playing was A7, you know? I had friends mm-hmm. there, you know, yeah. so, the, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, yeah. Pete, um, do you, I'm, I, I'm actually like, so we have these questions for you, Drew, but like based on what you just said, like I've got a whole series of other questions I'd rather ask. <laughs> so yeah. Pete, do you, and, and also because like, do you want to ask any other music questions? Because I actually want to ask a little bit about like what happened to acting at that. So you, 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 you know, like what's, what happens with the, with the acting and with your like involvement in music? Like, do you, do you right. kind of keep doing music? acting and yeah right so so uh, unfortunately you know making decisions when you're young you know i was i got i got i got involved in this really exciting vibrant scene and i was a teenager and i just got swept up in it and that became my priority you know um there's been times where you know 
you know, I might regret, you know, damn, man, if I would have like focused up a little God, I went to college and fucking and 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 fucking, you know, pissed it away, really, and just kind of crapped out. It's a shame. Looking back as an adult, you know, I really sort of but I I I I things took a different different path for me. And they took an interesting path for me. But as far as acting goes, that was sort of the end of it. Um I I I've I've revisited it here and there. But strangely enough, I'm back there now, you know, with with the show that I host and with my new movie that's coming out where it's basically my musical journey and I'm on camera. So it's very interesting how things have sort of, you know, come come full circle with it. Um, But but yeah, I mean, I I came back to New York and. what, What happened was that, like I said, for me, job always meant something in the film business, right? So at a certain point, I got a job as a stage manager on a film stage here in New York. I had I had I went from one to another and on the stage when I was at Riverview stage, you know, we did, you know, they came in and did, you know, Danzig Mother and Jassy Jeff and the Fresh Prince Parents Don't Understand and Eric B and Rakim. And, you know, then I worked at 3G's and did a lot of hip hop thing, you know, Shoop Shoop with Salt and Pepper and, <laughs> um, um, you know, um, suicidal tendencies. And so what started to happen was I was playing, let's say I was playing an antidote at the time. Right. And this is during the golden age of music videos. So people started asking me like, yo, you know about this stuff, Drew, you know, like, could you do a video for us or whatever? So I started, you know, doing like little videos for bands. And then I connected with Paris Mayhew, the guitar player of the Chromax. And he was going to school uh, studying to be a cameraman. And we just sort of connected at this time. Um, he, he, um, was, he was a, a, a director and I had a, and I was, I assumed the role of producer and I formed my company Stone Films NYC. So we started doing videos together, biohazard, you know, we did biohazard punishment, shades of gray, tales from the hard side, typo negative, black number one, run DMC. Those are the gold records you see behind mm. me. And, and we just went on this incredible run doing music videos. And that all, that all went through my company. And then when me and Paris split, I started directing videos on my own. And I directed, um, you know, Agnostic Front Gotta Go and the Madball videos and, and you know, so on and so forth. A lot, lot of hardcore stuff, mm-hmm. you know, Marauder and, and Sub-Zero and Fury of Five and, and, and all that. And so... From my so, so so from my affiliation from being in bands and playing all these shows, I met Paris Mayu because when I was in the High and the Mighty, we played with the Chromax on the first Chromax show they ever did. So sort of like, hey, you know about this stuff, Drew? And then we kind of became the go-to guys. And then you know the music video thing sort of ran its course, and that led to that led to like extreme sports films, and then eventually documentary films. You know. Yeah. And okay. were you still involved in the scene at that point? So like when you got really heavy into, and obviously you're still, you know, you're making movies now, yep. but during that time, you know, you came to Boston, you got involved in punk, you're playing in bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you started working with Paris and, and doing that, were you still going to shows and involved in that? Or was it you're making videos for bands, but not as much, you know, going oh, out no, to always, shows and part always, of the scene? Always music. But if we're talking specifically hardcore here, like, Hardcore for like at the time for me, like having been there during the first wave, having seen Minor Threat many times, mm-hmm. The Misfits many times, The Bad Brains 
we've I saw many many times. You know, sort of when things like in the mid '80s or toward, like things kind of move on. Like when you think today came around, it was like I kind of I was here for this already. You know, and and I'm not. I'm I'm a little, I'm getting I'm you know I'm, what's the next thing for me to do? Sure. And, and 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 a lot of people don't understand that in perspective. Like I wasn't you know Ray B's got on the merry-go-round again. You know like I wanted we a lot of us wanted to move forward and do other things, and that's probably the reason why Antidote kind of went in a like a rock direction. We mm-hmm. were like yeah we were kind of like oh we did the hardcore thing already. Let's sure. do something else. You know yeah um, that makes sense. Some people stuck around, stuck in it like Ray B's. Like he just you know but um. Yeah, if that if that makes sense. Oh, that yeah. Makes a, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's like, I feel like not saying it's yours, but like there's a movie, you talk about like all these like documentaries, like that's a documentary. Like what happens to people like, you know, yeah. what happened after the golden era, like you called it before. Sure. And that like that like late 80s to early 90s, like period, it's sort of like it's like untapped territory. There's not a lot that people, you know, for the first generation, it's a really interesting time to think about like what happened to those people. So that, that makes a lot of sense. When I'm thinking of a job, I'm always thinking something in the film industry. Well, that's, right? that's, that's, you know, uh, that's the way it shook out. Like, you know, bottom rung jobs, like, you know, working in a movie equipment, ha- movie rental house, like schlubbing, you know, doing deliveries in the van, you know, bringing equipment to film sets, being a PA for a hundred dollars a day. Like I, I, that's the only place I knew like where to get work. That, that was sort of like, and also the film business was very nepotistic and feudal back then. It wasn't like now where it's like, oh, New York Film Academy, you know, study, you know, like there was no fucking way to get in the film business. That's what I was asking because like when Pete and I and other people from our, you know, like our, our yeah. world, we talk, we're like, when we get jobs, it's like, we're, we're kind of like broken by like DIY. Like we can't imagine a job where we can't have our hands in it and doing sure. and being part of like the making of the thing, right? Like, and I imagine yeah, yeah, from a few, sure. you, you, I can't imagine, I can imagine like if you come from, it seems like it makes a lot of sense. You, you seem like a hands-on guy, you know, like- You know, it is it, a watershed moment for me. Yeah. I was working on a Don Johnson video. Do you know who Don Johnson <laughs> yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was working, at one point I was um, a PA and like, there's like a, there was like a, a PA circuit, right? You like go from job to job, like, you know, there's like a, you know, different movies. And I was in the PA circuit, you know, getting gigs as a PA. And, and, and I was working on this Don Johnson video because uh, the, the song was called Heartbeat. Looking for a heartbeat. Yeah, right, yo, watch the video. Yo, it was, this was at the peak of, it was at the peak of his um, Miami Vice fucking mania. And yo, he did some record. And like, not only did they do a video, but they did like a, a mini like film, like for every song. And it was like, they threw like a crazy amount of money into this guy's. Now, Don Johnson's a legitimate dude. He wrote songs with the Allman Brothers band. And like Don Johnson's actually is a legitimate, like, uh, you know, music guy. He, he like, he wrote stuff and, you know, he, he, he had a history. So I'm on this shoot and watching in Square Park and, they said, Yo, don't tell anybody what we're doing if they ask and this and that. And like somebody came up to me and was like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, you know, Don Johnson video. And like <laughs> the producer or something, you know, heard it. And they ended up putting me for the rest of the day, like out in the middle of nowhere, like on, on an elevator going up with the elevator, man. Like they banished me. Yeah. And, and I at that there was a moment there, a watershed moment where I realized I have to do my own thing. Like I cannot, this isn't going to work. I, 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 
I have to be able to do my own thing. And it was really a, a, an eye-opening experience. It was like, that's it, man. And then I was fortunate enough to kind of get things going, you know, with my Stone Films NYC and, you know, with Paris and the music videos. And, you know, one, one thing, you know, you know, a lot of times, you know, one thing sort of segues into other, you know, the videos were Paris and then, I, then me and Paris split and the videos on my own. And then people, you know, some, you know, people saw that, oh, okay, uh, street dude did the street videos, turned me on to the street bike thing. And then I started doing street bike documentaries. I did nine films in seven years. You know, I'm like that, I'm like that street guy, you know? And so things sort of, you know, um, weave into each other, you know, so to speak. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, when you were doing those, like those videos that you talked about earlier, like the biohazard videos and like the run DMC videos, like, did you, you know, I remember them and I remember like, did you like have like a style that you were known for? Like I, cause I can visualize, like they kind of like, they always seemed gritty. They seemed tough. They seemed pretty street. Like, and like, was that like something that like you brought to, like, how does it, how did that work out? Like I'm. Well, uh, initially, um, you know, I have to give credit to Paris Mayhew. You know, because in, in a certain way, a lot of those early videos, like like that right there, that's my Onyx <laughs> Slam double platinum record, you know, hanging on the wall. And like Paris Mayhew really had a lot of the vision. I was the executor. I had the company. I threw the party, as, as we said. I made it happen. I figured out how to make it happen. And, and yes, Paris, you know, and you could say with myself, had a certain style. There's, there's, there's a... Um, there are parallels between Onyx Slam, um, uh, Typo Negative Black Number One, you know, Biohazard Shades of Grey, Insane Clown Posse Chicken Hunting, King's X, King's X um, Dog Man, you know, like there's, you know, and and yeah, he did a certain performance um, uh, performance based kind of style, right. you know, and then when when we split and I went on my own, you know, agnostic front gotta go and that stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was shooting another thing is stuff back then was shot in 16 millimeter film. You know, it wasn't like, Oh, grab a camera and shoot it. There was like, it was like, you know, who the fuck knew how to do that? You know, like shooting 16, you got to develop, you got to buy the film. You got to, you got to shoot the film and you got to transfer it. You know, it, it was like a lot of, it, it was not, it was doing music video, music video was not that easy back then. It costs, it costs fucking money. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like now, every, you know, everybody's a director and everybody's an editor. Everybody's a porno star, you know, <laughs> right. it's like, you know, so, but I think a certain um, style was established, you know, for sure. Absolutely. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask what it was like working with ICP. Oh, it was interesting. I worked with them a couple of times. Oh yeah. Um, not only, not only did, um, we do the chicken hunting video in December, uh, excuse me, in, in, in Detroit. But after when I was tour managing for biohazard, biohazard did an insane, it was bio, it was insane clown policy. Biohazard did this incredible Midwest tour. And I was out on that tour again with those guys, <laughs> like a couple years later. Um, you know, those guys, listen, when we got the call to do the video, I was like, what? Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, like fucking clowns that rap. I was dumbfounded, and then uh, and then you sort of get a hit to like they have what kind of a fan base, right? Like, right. and then it's like, and the budget is what? <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you know, totally. and but but you know, it was a little difficult with them. 
Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not like easygoing guys. Sure. And, and, and that's okay. And, and I, I, I recently, I sold my insane clap posse go record somehow some crazy ass juggalo, uh, you know, found, you know, you know, it is on my website. I have something called like hall of fame where I sort of took pictures of all my go records and accolades and I have them. And I guess if you do a Google search, this insane clown posse go record that I got turned up. So this guy, this kid reaches out to me and says, Hey, would you be interested in selling it? And I'm like, not really, you know, and he made an offer for 400 bucks. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not selling my goal, you know, and then he, and then he sort of made another offer for 600 and then he made another offer for, I think like eight. And then I said, look, bro, you give me a thousand bucks. I'll meet you halfway and fucking deliver it. And I ended, he's, op- he was talking about opening some insane clown posse like museum. And, uh, wow. I saw, I sold them a goal. This is right when, this is during like when the pandemic started. And like, yo, I saw, I just, fuck it. Thousand bucks is a thousand bucks, right? Oh, yeah. Look, I got a couple other ones on the wall. Fuck sure. it, right? I mean, you know, but thousand bucks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I'm not going to knock that. But you, did yeah. you, did you tell him, listen, when you open your museum, you got to put a little of my name on the placard underneath yeah, it. Like, yeah. you got, <laughs> did you guys you know crack, what? did you guys crack a bottle of Fago together? Yeah. No, he, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was a nice guy, man. Listen, you know what? Also, I, I will say this. It went somewhere to somebody who's passionate about it. Right. And these things are important to me. It's like, you know, even like guitars, people that collect guitars and they sit in, the, in, in a fucking closet. It's like, I'd rather see my, the stuff go somewhere. So, so like a couple of years ago, I sold all my like old hardcore t-shirts and stuff. Yo, let it go to fucking somebody in Japan, it seems, or Australia that really have a passion for this, man. You know, like I, I, don't, I don't walk around wearing old hardcore t-shirts anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. It does seem like it goes to Japan for some reason. A couple of our buddies sold their stuff like cassettes and like the money that they're getting for the stuff in in Japan. You know, when I found out how much the shit goes for, I was like, I'm selling everything. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need it. I don't want the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like that stuff. I'm curious to know, like you got the videos you're doing, you're doing the, um, the, the street bike stuff. Yep. Is the next move then all ages or is there? Yeah, Yeah. Very good brother. I mean, a little bit of research. I I mean, there's, there's, you know, other things happen. You know, I got married, had a kid, had an art gallery, shit like that. But as far as, as far as my film career goes, yeah, um, I did, uh, I did nine street bike films in seven years, including uh, I directed the MTV True Life episode, I Live to Ride. And then there was a little lull in the action. You know, the wave goes in and the wave goes out. The DVD market collapsed. Right. And then there was like a couple of years, like figuring out what I'm going to do. Um, you know, I came back to New York and then the all ages thing, the all, the all ages thing came on, um, came on my radar, which, which, yeah, which will be interesting because when you, when you guys get a little bit of this perspective, you'll understand why the film was the way it was, you know? Yeah. So what, uh, what, yeah. What, what brought you back? You just talked about, it, it came on your radar. What, can you talk a little bit about that? What does it mean came on your radar? What, and what made you return to that early eighties time? Well, so I came back to New York. Um, I was living in Vermont for a couple of years and raising a kid and, and being married. And, you know, so that, that kind of blew apart. And, and I came back to New York and, and this is during the MySpace days. Right. <laughs> and, 
I heard from some people from the old Boston hardcore scene, uh, um, Dwayne Lucia, uh, who owned a space called Gallery East, which is where we all played. Another place like Media Workshop, like, you know, an art space that like bands played. And this gal named Katie, the cleaning lady, who went to Emerson with me and is the person that introduced me to Choke that day in the, right? So they start doing this Boston oral history project, right? And on MySpace, like, you know, um, record your memories and post them, you know? And nobody was kind of doing it, you know? And Dwayne had a connection at um, Suffolk University. So they started bringing people into Suffolk University to um, just sort of interview them for this sort of MySpace project, right? So they reached out to me and asked if, if they could interview me for this Boston oral history project. So I took the Fungwa bus from oh. Chinatown up, up, up to Boston, right? Taking that a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I took the bus up to Boston and, and I was interviewed for this project, right? And then when the project, after the interview, um, now this was at Suffolk University and this is in like on a news set, you know, and I heard you guys mention this when you were reviewing the film. You're like, like, what is this? Why is everybody being like interviewed here? You know? And, and, and so, so, so this is, so this is sort of the explanation is that because Dwayne, had a, a neighborhood relationship with Suffolk University and they had cameras and, you know, like we could, he started doing the interviews there and they were, they were recording them in HD. Right. So mm-hmm. I go up there and I get interviewed and afterwards um, there's like a kid sitting there and he's like futzing with the footage, trying to cut something together. And I noticed that he was cutting it on final. He was, he was trying to edit on final cut pro and he was kind of freaking like struggling, you know, like, and I just, and I, I, I was giving him suggestions, do this, do that. And then I finally said, yo, yo, just slide over, bro. And, and he slid over. I sat down and I edited together, like in a half hour, I banged together this fucking promo and Dwayne and Katie were astonished. They were like, wow. And, and I thought about it and I said to them, you know, you know, what we should do, we should do a film about the a documentary film about the early Boston hardcore scene. I will be the director. You, Katie, will be the producer. And you, Dwayne, would be the executive producer. So that's how that project started. You know, it started as a MySpace um, oral history thing. Um, and then I got involved. I said, what's the vision here? They had, there was no vision. That's the thing. Like, you know, you gotta have vision, you know, I mean, with, with this kind of stuff, you really, and I said, and this is what we should do. 1980 to 1984, the first wave of Boston hardcore, the stuff that we were, that we were a part of, you know, and you know, I, I took the helm at that point and we started doing interviews in the, you know, other interviews in the Suffolk University. Um, you know, I know I, I, in, in the news, in, in that, on that sort of like news set with the window behind yes, us, yep. that's, you know, and I know, I know you guys talked about it, you know, when you reviewed the film. And uh, I want to say this about, about the film for me is, is sort of, it's almost like for me, 
that film, it's like going back and looking at like the drawings you did in first grade. You know, it's a little awkward for me, that film. Now, there's some great stuff in it. Oh, yeah. There's some really great stuff in it. But to me, it was the beginning of my journey as, as, as a documentary filmmaker, which sort of like went, you know, the Boston hardcore film, you know, uh, the New York Hardcore Chronicles mm-hmm. film. And who the fuck is that guy? The fabulous journey of Michael Lago, which which by then the, the style was was refined. You know, the movie was a hit, you know, on Netflix for three years. And so, you know, but the Boston hardcore film was really the beginning of that journey. There was a lot of trial and error there. Like, OK, how do you do this? I never did it before. I mean, I, I never made a documentary film like, you know, like, like, you know, so I had to figure out okay, um, we should break it down in chapters. Mm-hmm. This way it's, it's regimented, it's segmented, not just this sprawling mass of shit. Like, okay, <laughs> what, what are the chapters? What should, you know, the early days, communication, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then how do we string the chapters together? And, and that, that was, I just sort of took a practical approach to it. And, 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 and you know, that, that, that's how, you know, and, and we started stringing it together and, Dwayne. And, and what's interesting is this is so early on, you know, there was no like Kickstarter or anything like that. Right. You, you know, and this is where my young friends, um, <laughs> you, 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 you have, I felt in reviewing the film, you guys lacked the perspective because what you said a couple of times was, you know, why are they doing this here? I, you know, I've seen this in 20 other documentaries already. Truth be told, by the time when I made that fucking film, there wasn't 20 documentaries. The only film that was out there when I made that film was American Hardcore, Steve Blush's film. And I, I, I would say this a lot when we would do uh, Q&As for, for the Boston Hardcore film, mm-hmm. is that I saw American Hardcore and I thought that Boston, the Boston chapter in there got shortchanged. Yeah, and totally. I thought that I could do better. And that inspired me in, in a hardcore DIY ethos to fucking pick up the axe and swing it. And that's what led to, you know, I thought, you know, get up, get out and make shit happen. Like I say in that film. And that's what I, that's what inspired me. And, and then and, 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 and I say I used to say this in, in, in the screens. I say, and if you fucking think you can make a better fucking film, I challenge you. You know, that's what it's about. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. Like if you, if you think, you, and I, I, I'm not getting heavy with you guys. I'm yeah. just saying in, in general, it's like, you know, you know what I saw, I saw American hardcore. I thought I could do better. I felt challenged. I went out and did it, you know? And if somebody sees my Boston hardcore film and thinks something's lacking, good. God bless. Go out and fucking do it. Don't talk about it, man. Right. That's awesome. That's um. so I want to ask a follow up on something you said, but I also want to give the Mia Culpa that we might have given off air where like, you know, when we said like, yeah, we like this, we, we want to, we've seen this a million times. Like that was totally, yeah. Like that, there was no person, there was, we lack that yeah. perspective, but as, as season two, one of our show goes on, yeah. which is all recorded now we do, like, I think yeah. we, we actually do when we, we did American hardcore later in this year, we were given right. some things away and we, we, you come up, this movie comes up favorable in many ways to American hardcore. Like we, like we revisit this movie and we're like, yeah, like, so we also, well, understand- I also want to say like, when I did this film and I'm not mentioning names is that I, I think a couple of, a couple other docs that came out of this sort of aped the format mm. 
that I created here. And I don't want to mention names, you know, I'm, I'm not about that. You know, yeah, I'm yeah, not. Yeah. We do, and, we and do, and, we and, do. And, 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 and I'm not saying I'm all that. I'm not all right. that, yeah, yeah. but I'm that. You right. know what I mean? I ain't yeah, all yeah. that, but I'm that. You know, I, I, I've done my thing. I, I, I've got a couple, couple wins on the board, you know? Right. But you know, even in my notes, even in my notes right here, um, underline, why are we saying, why are we saying these 20 same things? Because we did it first in 2010, <laughs> you know, it was it was sort of like training wheels that right. film. And that said, there's some great, great moments in that film. Yeah. So Jude, let me ask a question about that, like that. So you talked about like the training wheels, but you talked about how like you pulled it together. Did you develop those chapters and then ask questions, or did you get the footage and then say, how am I gonna, how am I gonna? chapter all this stuff. no no it, there had to be there had to be some game plan going into it okay so i made a master list of what are the points here what do we want to you know and there were many there were many more chapters but you, you know you call the herd eventually you know it's right. like and, and and basically you sort of go where the horse leads you right it's like you know people really enthusi enthusiastically respond to certain things and you kind of feel like the momentum going there and like yo do we really need to like this sort of like yeah this doesn't you know get rid of that one so let's right. say there were 15 chapters in the end of the film, there was maybe, you know, nine or 10, you know, you know, right. of course, you know, listen, there's some no brainers here, right? Like SSD control, right? They got to have their own chapter. They were the nucleus of the whole friggin' thing. Right? right. And then, and, and, you know, another thing that wasn't really um, addressed in a film at that time was sort of like things like, how do we communicate? And things like that, the flyers, the this, the that, that wasn't, that wasn't um, out there really yet. I mean, I yeah. know it's been done to fucking death by now, you know, but, but it was cool. And, and um, so, yeah, you know, and then and you have a game plan and then what I do, what we did there, and I still refer to it as, and then in the end, you kind of look at the film and, and you fill in the potholes, as you say, like, where are we lacking? Where are we deficient? What do we need to come strong on? And then that starts to dictate who you want to talk to next. Because, yo, we don't need to go talk to another friggin' SSD control guy. We got all that. We need, what we're, what we're missing here is this and this. Well, who would that person be? Okay, let's go, let's go after that. And that's, that's what happens with, with, all, with, with all my films to a certain extent, even, even the Michael Alago film. It's like, you know, we, you know, we got the Metallica guys. We did, the, you know, like where are we weak? And then you, you sort of, you, 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 you play to like, how do we, how do we firm this up? How can we firm, you know, firm this part of the film up a little bit? I call right. it filling potholes, you know? Right. You can ask me, hey, you can ask me about Al Burrell, why he's not in the film. Well, yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hold out on that one, but if you want to answer that one now, yeah. <laughs> um, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, Al Burrell, um, was having some issues at the time, uh, having some health issues. Got it. And um, it just wasn't appropriate for him to, yeah. to, to come and do the film. And, uh, you know, I, I was um, a little, dis I was disappointed, but in retrospect, certainly understand, you know, um, we're friends to this day. Uh, he was on my show recently. Yep. Um, and, and I have, you know, I have a lot, listen, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for him. And, uh, but, you know, we also felt that we have the other three guys in SSD control in the film, you know, um, and that's kind of covered. 
Um, you know, Al also has his own vision as to what that was. And Al's vision isn't particularly, you know, anything beyond, you know, my 15 guys in my black van. And what we wanted to do with the film was sort of show other aspects of it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That's actually really clear. You know, like as interesting it is that as interesting as it is like for us as people to ask those questions about like, what's the deal there? You know, yeah. it makes well, a lot yeah. of sense. Why as a director, you need to keep it, you need to keep it a little wider than that. Sure. It's like when I watched American hardcore and I was like, where the fuck are the misfits? Where the fuck right. are the dead Kennedys? It's easy to be a viewer and see this stuff and go, Oh, you know, where the fuck was that? But when you're a filmmaker and you're in the trenches, yo, the misfits didn't want to do it. What do you, and, and so what am I, what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Oh, Al Barrell doesn't want to do it. Uh, okay. You, 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 you try to compensate, you know, you, you, you got a freaking film to make, you know, right. you, you know, you got, you got to do, uh, you got to do what you could do. I know you guys, you guys said you like choke a lot in the film, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a person. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, we, yeah. His, uh, his personality, like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, so some of the comments that we made, like, I think we actually talked about it when we, when we discussed, like when we debriefed after we actually listened to our episode and we're like, we're confusing a lot of our feedback on the people in the movie and the things that we're thinking about what they're saying with the movie itself. Yeah. So like, I think that when we revisited it, we're like, oh yeah, like the movie does all these things that we're asking for. Some of the people don't do it, but then we're like, no, right. Choke's like a star in this movie. You know, oh, like in addition is. to- yeah. He is, he is. There's a few people that are, and he, he, he really he really brought it. Um, you, know, you know, what's interesting too, uh, I want to address that, some of the bands you, you mentioned, like where's vile, where's siege, where's deep wound. And anytime you make a movie like this, you gotta draw the line somewhere. Sure. You, yeah. you, it's not just like, or else you end up with a sprawling mass, right. you know, like you have to draw the line somewhere. And I feel like the line was drawn at the proletariat. Like they were on Boston, not LA. They were sort of a part of it, but that's where the light had to be drawn. I, we couldn't keep going on about the proletariat. And also to be honest with you, I don't remember vile or siege being around in 1983 or 84 or 84. And that's another thing. And, And like, you know, with you guys, I was sort of like, you guys are not, don't have this in the right person, the right kind of perspective here. You know, you're asking about where's this band and that band? They weren't fucking around yet. They, the band wasn't around yet. You know, Deep Wound, Deep Wound was starting out, but Jay wasn't available to, to be interviewed, but he was gracious and let us use music in the film. So Jay Maskus was was um, involved somewhat. And so was Al Barrill. Al yeah. Barrill let us use the music in the film. No, he wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, anti whatever, whatever, right. you know? And you guys did mention, you know, where's the SSD control film? Yo, believe me, that, I'd, be, you, I'd, be, I'd be the motherfucker to do the SSD yeah, please control do, Please do, please do, please do. But, but, but it's not gonna happen. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, those, there's, there's, there's a lot of issues in that yeah. camp, yeah. And, you know? And I, I can't make a film you know, not like I'm a control freak, but yo, you know, I, I got to be able to do what I do, right. you know, unless you're paying me a lot of money, you know, right. and, and I'll push buttons. But right. like, I make films, <laughs> the kind of films I want to make, you know. I, you know, not so, have not having been there, what was, you know, one thing that I, I think I had mentioned, I liked the way the chapters were, um, I liked the way they were sectioned. There was a piece about communication and one thing that I, I wished I'd seen more, you know, I was talking about like looking at the flyers and stuff like that, but what was the, what was the zine culture back then? Like, you know, obviously like we weren't there revisionist history, but well, no, well, well the, the, was the, it a big thing or not? 
Yeah, yeah, of course, forced exposure started then. Yeah. Forced exposure came out of our early Boston hardcore scene. Jimmy Johnson started it with Katie, the cleaning lady, again. Here's another gal, you know, uh, and we always, you know, talk about, you know, gals in the early hardcore scene. You know, she was very pivotal. She was like the dead mother, you know, and um, she started forced exposure with um, Jimmy Johnson, you know, very, very early on, you know, that, that started zines, zines were a big part of it and zines were a big part of it. And, you know, there was a lot of crossover between Boston and DC, right? Because, you know, Al looked to Ian a lot for inspiration right. and even the X claim imprint was really, you know, kind of started out of, you know, inspiration from discord, but it was different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, X claim was like an imprint. Discord was more of a label. So for sure. Um, you talked about, yeah, like, you know, we did when we were, we were like, you know, I, I'll admit that um, we were a little precocious saying like, why not these bands? Why not these bands? You know? And like, so you, even when you told your story up front, Drew, and you're like, yeah, like this is how I got into it. It kind of became clear right away. Like these bands probably weren't, um, like Deep Wound and stuff weren't in here because they're not central to the story that you were telling. And that makes a lot of well, sense. They, they weren't really around. I mean, right. they, That's what I'm saying. They, yeah. they, they, they were just getting going. I, I think Vile and Siege and Deep Wound really got going in like 84, you know? Right. Yeah. And we, I think we try to say that's more our interest, but like, I think the question, if we were going to ask like a filmmaking question out of that, like what, like when you were making it and shaping it, like all these interviews and you were kind of like, you know, filling in the potholes, as you say, mm -hmm. like, who were you thinking was like the, did you have in mind as a filmmaker, like your audience, like as a specific like person? Is it like, because like, so let me say two things. Like one, like it's a great overview, right? Like you, you, if you don't know much about Boston hardcore, you, right. you know, early, like, early Boston hardcore. Yeah. Like, and I tried to say this and it was 2 AM at this point, but like in the, when we were talking during our, our, our episode, but like 2000, like we were in Boston in the early 2000s, late nineties. And like that world wasn't really accessible to us. And you're, yeah. and, you're and you brought it out in a way where yeah. it's like, it, you really brought it out. But like, so at that point when your movie came out, we had known a little more, we we're a little older, but still like you kind of like a great introduction for, but there's also information that like people who've been around a long time don't know unless they were part of the scene. Mm -hmm. So like, who did you see? Did you look like, I'm going to make a movie for like the like, first year hardcore kid or am I going to make a movie for like the vet to remember how it was, you know, like, did you have it you know, in mind? I, I don't, I don't think that was on the docket. Okay. I, I, I think the way I approached it was that this stuff is important. This stuff should be documented. Right. I don't care. I don't say I don't care, but like, of course you want people to see your film, but what's important is that it's committed to history. And like, you know, one of my heroes is like Alan Lomax, who went out and did the field recordings. Like to me, especially when that when that film was when making that film, there wasn't any of these other films around. And I felt like this this is important stuff. It should be documented for future generations. You know, now, you know, a couple of films down the line, you know, and, and the kind of films I make now, it's my, my attitude has changed. You know, I mean, because I make a different kind of film. It's like, you know, I want to make a film and, and you know, I, th there's been a, a creative growth um, in, in a certain regard. Um, but at that time, I think it was, let's just tell the story. I feel, I feel in my bones, this is important. And, and this is history. 
And, and like, this shit needs to be documented. And, right. and that's the way I, I approached it. Not like, you know, there, there wasn't a real roadmap either. It wasn't like, yo, let's do this. And, and we'll, and, and, you know, like I said, there was no Kickstarter. We, we, we came up with the money ourselves. Like Dwayne from Gallery East, like Morgan, like I think sold his Jeep. And like, we, we did scare, you know, it was, what was really cool about this film it was very early on in the Facebook game too. So we started a Facebook page and we had a community and we would, we would hold these scanning parties where, where we would, we would invite people and to, to come and, and bring their flyers and photos. And we'd have scanners set up in the back of the room and I would screen a rough cut of the film. And I'd say, this is the fucking rough cut. And this is, you know, we would talk about it. And meanwhile, be in the back scanning shit. And, and the whole community was a part of the, 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 the process of making this film. And like I said, that film was Training Wheels. When it came time for the, for to, to the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, I really uh, fine-tuned that model. With the with New York, did this inspire you to do New York, or were you already thinking prior to this even happening that you were going to document no, New York? No, I never thought I would do New York. Like, okay. who the fuck needs that headache? <laughs> right? I mean, not me. Right? Like, that's a headache I don't fucking need. Like, I never like Boston. See, and that's part of the thing why Boston we I compartmentalized 1980 to 1984. How the hell you do New York? New York is just, where does it start? Where does it end? It's right. so fresh. You see, Boston, at least, there was sort of like this nucleus scene, Alboril, SSD control. Th you, you know what I mean? It, it, it was, I could wrestle it to the ground. Yeah. You know, New York, you would need to do like a, like a, like a, a, a 10 episode miniseries, right? right? So what happened was when the Boston hardcore film premiered at the Boston International Film Festival, at, what is that? The Brattle Theater? Is that right? The Brattle? Yeah. 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 It, yeah. it, it premiered at the Brattle Theater, right? And um, and I remember, you know, you know, film film festivals are fucking bullshit. You know, <laughs> and 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 I and I've been hipped to that by by a couple of, I used to think, oh, you know, it's my dream to have my film in a film festival. You know, film festivals are rank. They're a fucking scam. You know, we could start the fucking the Scooby-Doo Film Festival and charge people $50 to, you know, to submit their films. And we can screen three films on a dirty bed sheet. You know, most of these films, are like, most of these festivals are big money making operations and, and, and they, they pander to the big money and the sponsorship and the Hollywood bullshit. And so even when the film got picked up by the Boston International Film Festival, they were like, okay, yeah, um, you know, they 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 were they were excited to screen it, and they wanted to put it in a place that was a gigantic theater. I'm talking like I like the size of Radio City Music Hall, right? And I thought about it, and I was like, well, wait a second, we don't see none of that money. They're gonna they're gonna screen it in in a place like that, and everybody's gonna come see it. And where's that going to leave us? Yeah. So I, I pulled, we pulled back on it and put it in a smaller thing and it sold, it sold out in a day. Right. But, but so th that sort of started my, my, my new thinking about film festivals and like how, you know, most of them are bullshit, you know, now some of them are good. A couple of them are great. You know, I've done, I've done some really cool ones that, that are really run by cool people whose hearts are in the right place. You know, um, 
but in general, like I, I let go of that, that sort of fantasy. You live and you learn. But when the Boston hardcore film premiered at the Brattle, at the Boston International Film Festival, all of a sudden, Michael Alago shows up with somebody. And I knew Alago before, you know, when I was managing Sub-Zero, we went out on the Misfits tour in 1997. Alago signed the Misfits to Geffen and, and we were on the road together. And for a while, and when you're on the road in Europe together with somebody, you, you kind of bond them a little bit. So Alago showed up out of the blue at, at the film and he loved, he loves the Boston hardcore film to this day. <laughs> Alago is, loves that film. And I don't know, like a couple months after the, the the film kind of did its cycle, a lot of screenings. We went barnstorming with it. We did it here. We did it there. We released the DVD, you know, blah, 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 blah. I was at a Cro-Mags show here in New York. Um, and I bumped into Alago backstage and I walked away from that thinking, you know, and I was thinking I wanted to do, I wanted, what's my next project going to be? And I thought, you know, that guy's got an incredible story. And I went and met with him and the Boston and, 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 the Michael Alago film like went into motion. The Michael Alago film went into motion and it was, we started a Kickstarter thing and, um, you know, Alago signed Metallica, White Zombie, you know, Cindy Lauper's in the film, John Lydon. But there came a point where the film got bogged down. We had a couple issues. Um, we needed some money. Uh, we needed to clear some stuff and, it, it like slowed down to a crawl. And I was like, yo, I got to get something else happening. And I had jury duty. I was down at jury duty and I'm sitting in the jury, sitting out there in the jury pool. And I'm like, you know, New York hardcore doesn't have a, a Facebook page and should have a Facebook page. So I started this, I, I, I kicked around in my head ideas. Like what would be called? I thought, okay, cool. I'm going to start, a, I'm going to start a page called the New York Hardcore Chronicles page. And I started it and I got called into jury duty and I started the page, I like launched it. I came out of the fucking jury thing like a couple hours later and there was like a couple hundred people on the page already. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. The, and the page just took off. Boom, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, you know? And there came a certain point where I was like, the Lago film was moving slow and I wanted to do something else. And I thought, why don't I do a New York Hardcore Chronicles film, but I'll do it in the same format that, that the page is in, is that it's chapters. It's almost like if I took a deck of cards and each card was another chapter and I shuffled the deck and held them to you and said, pick 10 and you pick 10. And those are the 10 chapters. That's why they're all numbered like number 10, number three, number seven. That's why it's all. So that why I, I, I cleverly avoided the bullshit of, oh, you didn't put so-and-so in there. And, and so the, the New York Hardcore Chronicles film, you know, I did a Kickstarter for that. People really wanted to see that film get done. Nobody had the audacity to tackle a New York Hardcore Chronicles film. Yo, and, and I'm still honored to this day. People got behind me like, you are the guy to do this. Mm. And some people stepped up and wrote a check and, and made it fucking happen. And like really made it happen. And people said, look, on the DL, I don't want it to be known. Here's a check. Make this happen, man. And um, it was probably the most enjoyable film I've ever made. Because it was just me. 
I didn't have to deal with this one and that one and Michael Alago and, and everybody and everybody else. I was, I was able to pivot on a dime. You know what I mean? Like decision, boom, made moving next, you know, it wasn't a fucking negotiation, you know? <laughs> um, so that film ended up getting done and coming out like the month before the Alago film. But there was a glory moment there because the New York Hardcore Chronicles film came out and like we had big screen. It was awesome. And then a month later, and then right at the same time, basically a month later, the Alago film got picked up by a major distributor and was on its way to Netflix and was doing big. There was a night in Hollywood where both films were screening. <laughs> That's awesome. I had a moment. I had a moment. Yeah, that's an awesome moment. Yeah. <laughs> I had a moment. Yeah. So yeah. So so one thing sort of folded into the other. That folded into the other, you know. And I took the things that I learned from the Boston hardcore film, and and going into like the Alago film and the New York hardcore kind of so man, I I learned, I learned, right. what how to how to deal with it, how to you know how to how to you know handle the media, you know the media as in the stuff you shoot. Like, you know, really how to edit it properly and, 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 and you know, go, you know, you, 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 like I said, it was trial and error, the Boston hardcore film. So going into it the next time I was like, okay, let's, you know, I want to, let's have a little more, less chaos. In addition to um, like it being like the second documentary about like a hardcore scene that you're making, like, did you, was the, was your, did, did you have like a, you said you did the New York hardcore one all like it was you, like it was your, yeah. it was your, your total control. 100. Did, did you feel that way with the, with the all ages also or no, no. Okay. No, not, yeah. No, no. And, and, but I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. Okay. Uh, Dwayne Lucia, uh, you know, the executive producer at gallery East uh, was a big player in the game. It was really, it was really me and him. Okay. It, it was really me and him because when you have someone else involved also who's really handling the money, Who's putting mm -hmm. up his their their personal money? Um, right. You 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 have to um, uh, defer to them sometimes. And Dwayne Lucia was great. It was great to work with him. Um, he's an you know he, we reconnected. And 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 another great thing about the Boston Hardcore film. This is this is cool. Is that these are people in this film that I interacted with when I was a teenager. Then I left Boston and came back to New York. And went through, you know, a lot of adulthood. And circling back here, making this film, I think at the time, you know, in my mid-40s, right? It was really interesting when some people came in for the interview, like the last time I saw them, like we were teenagers. Yeah. So it was really kind of cool. It was like, hey, like, hey, man, like, how was your life? <laughs> you know, like I'm, I, I miss, yeah. I miss you. You know, now right. you're kind of graying and whatever. It's like, how was your life? And what was really, really um, uh, precious about it for me was I had people come in like Bob Sensi from Jerry's Kids or uh, Andy Strahan that was in DYS, and they go, "Man, Drew, remember the time we went to the city and you know, you, and like this had, and it was like." I, I was being given back my memories yeah, and like, yeah. you know, and now, now those memories are very vibrant to me, but you know how it is when you leave a scene and you don't, you don't interact with those people, you, you're not exercising that muscle, that memory right. muscle. Like 
I had no reason to think of that. It would never, you know, and here we are, you know, 30 years later or whatever. Remember that time we came down, you know, Al had the straight edge van and you had the no edge van, you know, and like, (laughs) you know, like, and you stopped, you know, and he reminded me of the story where on the way up first Avenue back to Boston, I stopped at this, this bodega, this like deli. And I made the straight edge guys get out and come in with me. You go to the back of the deli and there was a there was a uh, a shelving a shelving unit right and you could walk around it and you walk you get around it it was like on either side and on the other side there was a plexiglass kind of window with a slot underneath and you put your money underneath and they give you like a bag of weed and like this was like this is like in the back of this deli and they were they were absolutely blown away that something like, <laughs> like this existed and i i had no remember until andy said remember that time you brought we were you know and, I was, and then of course i remember it now right, you know right. so it, it was really um a cherished um experience filmmaking for me you know awesome. it, it was like really fucking great like making that film was really great and reconnecting with everybody was was really great and 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 that that one really set me into motion. Were there pieces that you filmed uh, that were really great to you, but you didn't get to include? There's a or do you feel of, like you got to put everything in? There's a couple of things. I think they ended up in the DVD extras. There's a couple of things, but like I said, the way that I do films is that at a certain point, I, I sort of figure out what we're doing and where we're going. And, and sort of in that early, in that, not real early, but in that stage, you kind of get rid of the extraneous shit and you focus on what you feel is the meat and potatoes of the mm-hmm. film. So you start focusing on what our, our chapters are going to be. I, you know, there, there was, there was a, there was a, there was a couple of things that we thought, you know, we would go in that, Hey, what about a chapter on this? But, you know, none of it was fully realized and then cut out of the film. You know, you don't want, you, you want to avoid that. You don't want to, spend a bunch of time, money, you know, and energy on putting something together and then being like, yeah, let's not put it in the film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. But you know, sure. There's, there's, you know, you have your wish list. You wish, you know, certain things. Sure. I wish Al Barril would have been in the film. Um, you know, I wish there was, there was a, some footage that we didn't get that, that, you know, some people wanted to be fucking assholes, you know, some people have a fantasy and think like, oh, this is worth, you know, uh, you know, lots of money, mm, you know, yeah. and like, you know, it's like, come on, man, you know, and, and, and that was very frustrating because, like I said, with that film, it's history and it's important mm-hmm. and we should be, we should all try to tell the story as comprehensively as possible. I'm a firm believer in that, you know, and, and like, I know this is controversial and, and, and I've taken heat from it. But you have people, hoarders of media, photographers that keep their shit buried. And I feel like there's a higher, they, we have to answer to a higher calling here. This is history. And, 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 it's, and, and, the, and the art should be liberated. And I understand, you know, personal copyright and personal stuff. But there's people that will, that will keep it buried to their dying day and it will never see the light of day. And that bothers me. And they're always, yeah. and when you've researched these people, it's usually just like, hey, 
like this is too like I I need to see like I mean why what when you've approached people you had some first of all amazing footage in all ages like the the, the ga- was a gallery is it the gallery like where- yeah that gallery East stuff was 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 amazing it really- uh, so <laughs> we found that stuff that was shot on three quarter we transferred it that was the holy grail SSD yeah. control at gallery East mm-hmm. boom right. holy yeah. fucking grail right. um, there's uh, what else is in there. Uh, you know, there's some other stuff. There's there's the FUs. Uh, that footage was never before seen. I think John Sox from the FUs had that on VHS, and he gave it to me, and we transferred it. Um, you know, Jerry's it, kids at the Rat. I think. Oh I, no, yeah, Jerry. Yeah. No, the Jerry's kids and FU stuff at the Channel. Yeah, channel. channel. Okay, right, right. That Jerry's kids footage is amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and Red Shark Media is still around. The guy's still around. We got it. We did a, a, a direct transfer. But you know, also. Water finds its own level in these projects. And, you know, a band like The Freeze or whatever, God, I wish there was some footage we could have had, you know. So what happens is you end up gravitating to the bands that have the imagery out there. Right. You know, I mean, that's kind of, and, and not just in my documentary, I've seen it in other documentaries. It's like the documentary leans heavy towards the subject matter that there's the visuals for. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and that's why s- some bands like get more play than you think they deserve. Well, it's because their media is accessible and, 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 you know, right. you can, yeah. yeah. Right. right. I mean, we'd, we'd say like, as to the P and I and Jeff was not here obsessives, like, it's almost like we wanted as much as everything as possible. You know, we want the Snyder yeah. cut of the, like yeah. the Drew, the Drew cut <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, we get it. We get that. Um, yeah. We, we, at this point then, do you want to like, is there stuff that you wanted to address about the movie, <laughs> uh, about our take on Us. the movie or about, about, you I know, think you guys, I think you guys, I think we kind of worked through it. I mean, okay. if you have anything else, please, I'm, I'm enjoying this and, and I feel good that, that I, I addressed like the things that sort of like are underlined. And I felt like we're really, I, I wanted to really address it. And I feel like we've addressed it, but believe me, feel free to ask me anything about okay. that fucking film. You yeah. Know? Pete, go for it. So I will say before, while you're thinking about what you want to ask Pete, you talked about all ages being your train, you know, like kind of like your, 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 like the, the, where you figured out stuff. Yeah. Um, we did not expect people like you who were talking at the movies we're talking about right, to hear right. us figuring our shit out. So <laughs> we appreciate you like, you know, in a way that you don't understand, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I and, think and, when, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to adding to what Matt was gonna, was saying, you know, the three of us were texting Jeff, Matt and I are just kind of like, I, it was like blowing our minds that one, we we're, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We're just like, this was a, a, a passion three project stooges, that we want to do. Yeah. yeah. And it made sense, but also didn't make sense to get people who were involved in the doc in that time period to comment. And, you know, again, we're not, it's not like we have any sort of following, but to be able to, to, you know, for you to reach out and be able to connect with you uh, for me, it was just like, Holy shit, this is crazy uh, that he would even want to spend time talking with us. Then we got a little nervous once you, once you heard the podcast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, there you go. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, really, but just really ebb, appreciate but it. The, thank you. But there's an ebb and a flow to this stuff and there has to be an interaction and, and, and it can't just be, I wouldn't expect it to be all good, you know? And, and, and this is the important stuff is to be able to have the interaction and go back and forth with it and sort of look, you guys, I think what you guys are doing is really cool. You know, it, it's like you, you're talking, you, 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 the dialogue, it, it's all about the community and the culture 
you know, and, 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 and keep it going. You know, I, you listen, I, I hope that you guys have me back at some point and we could talk about, you know, I think it'd be great if you guys did the Alago film at some point. We, we got two more. Cool. We got at least two more to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So go on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one, obviously you were just talking a bit about it in terms of like what footage you had available and, and which, you know, bands were able to, to grant you that. So the movie seems heavy on SSD and the kids yep. have their say, yep. uh, which was great. Um, not well, having... and, and, and part of that is because Phil and Flash, you know, right, and right. all his photographs, he's Springer's brother and they were the nucleus of the thing, you know, but, but yeah, yeah. I mean, so were they not having been there? Were they the front and center band? Were they the biggest band at that time? Were they there longer than other people or, or they am I the, just grasping were, that because of them having more, you know, airtime in the movie? They were the first band. They were the first band that really um, started DIY playing shows on their own. They were the, the they were the rally point, you know. Um, they they were aggressive, you know. They they you know with the straight edge thing, they got the straight edge thing going in Boston, um, booking shows. Uh, they were an incredibly powerful band. The kids will have their say was uh, was a good record. Uh, Get it away to me was an excellent record. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, yeah. the, to keep it like, it, it, in, how do I say it? Like the, uh, in the self, you know, uh, that band changed my life. And, and, and um, I, I hope, you know, I, I didn't lean, I didn't, you know, they come across in the film, but they were real, like uh, uh, unbalanced, but they were really the, they were the, they were the, the, the point of the, uh, uh, of the wedge, you know, they, they yeah. were the tip of the arrow and, um, you know, and, and we talked about doing a film, doing, a, you know, I'd love to do an SSD control documentary if I could really do it because that story is fascinating. That story. I mean, it certainly seems like it. That story is absolutely fascinating. And, and like the demise and the downfall of, of, of those characters is reads like fucking Shakespeare, mm. you know, Absolutely, absolutely incredible. But, you know, Boston's interesting. And I like, you know, what you guys talked about, how, um, like, for, for, for that, that Boston, like, hardcore for you is, like, you think, like, like, the, like very metalish. You know, it's like the next generation. Like, yeah, like right. you know, this thing is, like, 81 to 84. I think you guys reference, like, you know, almost like, you know, 85 to 90, maybe. Is that right? And well, later, like even later. later. So like, so we, like when we were younger, we knew like Sam Black, like, like yeah. you could always find a Sam Black church record. Right. You know, you went to the record right. store, which is great. Right. But you yeah. could never find those SSD records that That's our older right. brothers and friends right. would talk. About. You could That's never right. find Get It Away. So right. like, and then when we could find something, it was Let It Rock. And we're like, you know, like, um, yeah. or how we rock. And it's like, okay, this is what everyone's going nuts for. Like, this doesn't sound like the thing I'm imagining. Um, and then so, and that's like, what I felt when I heard it. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but then when we got to Boston, there was like a lot of bands that had like really heavy, heavy sound, but like sure. a lot of singing over it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't hardcore. It was like hard rock. Who stuff. would that be? Who would that be? Like, just so I know, give me a reference. Like what? Like, so the, bridge, like the bridge nine stuff? No. Earlier than that. Like, so, yeah. so bridge nine started when we were in Boston. I mean, um, there was, I mean, at that time, uh, Give me a reference. A, just so there was like a label called Hydrahead, but 
but then there was also a label called Bridge, uh, not Bridgestone, uh, Big Wheel Recreation. Yeah. Okay. And they had bands like uh, Daltonic or something. Uh, I don't even know if Daltonic was on it, but uh, yeah, I think it got a little bit more rock at that point. So there's a band yeah, I mean, like 454 Big Blocks, like a big band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I remember right. that band. Yeah. But that, but they were, and they played hardcore shows. I remember maybe seeing them with Agnostic Front or something like downstairs at the Middle East. Yep. But if it, maybe that's not the show, but remember seeing them and it just being like more rock, which is fine. Like they're great, you know, they, they, they're good at what they do, but it, it wasn't what we understood as like the golden era, which we still couldn't find the records. And, and like you said, Boston's always like, Boston is like, is like a rock town. It's like Aerosmith. I was out of Boston by 1984. I left, I left summer of 83, you know? So that's where it sort of ended for me. And yeah. And, and, and I know you mentioned it in the film and, and I never, I, I, and I don't believe, and that's one thing that was really upsetting to me about um, American hardcore. It's like, I certainly don't think that, you know, hardcore died and ended in 1984. I mean, I'm sitting here right now and I got antidote NYHC shows coming up and I, I like hardcore will never die, you know? Like, so that really got me a little perturbed uh, in American hardcore. And when you guys were sort of saying, you know, about my film, I was sort of like, Oh boy, I hope that didn't really come across, you know, but, but, but I think in the Boston hardcore film, what happened is you have people saying like, for them, it was over. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. It, it, this for them, this, that cycle that let go around the merry-go-round ended in a certain regard for, for a lot of the, like, old time like the first timers right. in 1984 you well know? your framing the well, framing device of your movie actually makes it so that like even if someone in the movie was like yeah hardcore died you'd be like well you're fucking stupid because the movie is framed by a hardcore show right like the beginning yeah, and the end right. of the movie well have a hardcore show yeah thank you know what good that you brought that up that that was a re, that was sort of that was in retrospect and at the time I, it was a good idea like yeah. let's do a reunion show yeah. of all these bands and let's bring them together and we'll bookend the film with it. We'll open the film with it and we'll close the film with it. And yo, that, that show was a huge, like big, big success. So that was a question that we didn't ask. I don't think in the, I don't think it, it, it might be on the cutting room floor. I don't think it was in our, in our discussion of your movie, but was that show put on because of the movie that you were working yes. on? Yes. Okay. Okay. My idea. Okay. hundred percent. My idea, you know, what the fuck else? This film needs something. Yeah. It can't just be fucking people talking in, in Suffolk university. Like <laughs> I'm fucking bored with it. Like we, we need, we need like, you know, different flavors, you know, make these kind of things, you know, different, right. different, you know, different elements combined to make the whole, you know, you know, and, and, and so I thought, you know, we're moving. Why don't we do a Gallery East reunion show mm -hmm. with all the bands that used to play Gallery East? Okay, who's on our wish list? SSD Control, you know, Gangrene, Jerry's Kids, DYS, FUs. You know, you know, we play. You know, we're not in the film, but Antidote played first ever show in Boston. We went. Oh, is that right? Oh. Yeah. And now I still have all that footage. It was like awesome. multi multi camera shot. I mean, not. not it's like. If I was going to get like banished to like, you know, Siberia with that footage <laughs> and I had like, you know, six, like I have, you know, it was like a four camera shoot. I have all that stuff still. Um, maybe someday, you know, you know, line it, line it all up. But 
you know, and then you sort of go through, we went through it like SSD control. Well, they ain't going to do it. Um, you know, DYS was sort of the one that, that like, the, oh, wow. Like they, they, they pulled it back together to do a reunion. Um, you know, Gang Green was sort of around, you know, they, they, they never sort of went away. You know, right. uh, FUs weren't playing as the FUs. Uh, they were playing as payload. You know, they, they, they decided to bill it as the FUs and they'll do FU, you know, F in FU set. And who else was on that? Slapshot was on that bill. Oh, okay. uh, but, you know, you know, you know, you know who fucking stole the show it was fucking Jerry's kids. I mean, they crushed it. Yeah. Uh, you know, they crushed it. Right. And um, there was a couple of, of, of up and comers. You know, I think what was that band um, that Sean was in? Um, God, I don't remember that. They, they kind of opened the show and, and, you know, and that's it. And. You know, there was. Was it was, was it Jerry's? I'm like I'm blanking on it in the moment, but like it was that it was that Jerry's kids footage that went from them playing at the reunion. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. that was cool. That was a, that was a really cool transition. Yeah. That was like, yeah, man, yeah, that was a really that cool was transition. cool. I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, that was I might yes, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and and, and like, how do you get from the present to the past? Yeah, and I figured out let's match up these two them playing these two songs. One in the present day and one from 30 years ago, <laughs> and I'll dissolve backwards and it'll right. transport us to the past. Yeah, it was a, yeah, cool, it was a very it, cool moment. Yeah, man. They, yeah. Like I said, like I said, the film's got some training wheels on it, but there's some great moments in it. Yeah, there's. Yeah. Yeah. I'm proud of that film, man. You know, I'm, yeah, proud, of, I'm, I'm proud of all my films, you know, but, but, you know, uh, all in different ways or whatever. But, but that film was, you know, anybody who, you know, I figure anybody who can get something like this done deserves a medal and a monument, man. I know, I know what goes into these things. You know, it, 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 it's incredible, especially with some of these, you know, some of these docs, you know, and I love that a lot of them are passion driven, you Absolutely. know, like I, wa I watch a lot of really crappy music docs and the crappier, the better, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I love the real crappy ones, you know, that, that are just like, just some couple of kooks or a kook that just loves this band and their fucking passion comes through on it. To me, like that's the money. That's the film. That's like passionate filmmaking. To right, me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I watch all kind. I watch them all, man. I, I, I like, Oh, what's this? A documentary about like, you know, God, I've watched, I've watched like, I think me and two other people might've watched them on. But on you can, <laughs> you can watch the music docs for like, so, like you can watch the music docs for fun still because like a lot of times when people are, you know, like I, with the stuff that I do, like I can't read other people who write the kind of stuff that I write, you know, like, and I'm just like, it's not fun. I do, but it's only professional, but you're having fun watching these movies. Well, it's kind of like, I, I, it's, I think it might, I think that it might be cycling out a little bit. Like, I think like things go in like five year cycles, you know, like, you know, I had the music video career five years. I had the extreme sports film five years. And, you know, I think I might be cycling out of this documentary thing because I have a, you know, a dramatic script in the works and this new film I'm doing, they're going to pitch it as a weekly, as a weekly, after the film comes out, they're going to pitch it as a weekly, me hosting it as a weekly show. You know, like there has to be a progression here for me as an artist. Like, I don't know how many more music docs I need to do. You know, especially yeah. since the infrastructure has changed, like Netflix isn't picking up these things anymore. And like, it's kind of hard to, I don't know if I want to spend a couple of years doing the next music doc 
to fucking for no one to you know for, for right. to go through all the hassle and for no one to give a shit. Yeah. Right. You know, it's it's yeah. sort of a thankless task. And even when the Boston Hardcore film came out, after all that hard work, a week later, some fucking kid has it up on his YouTube page for free. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, you know, it's really a tough gig. Yeah. You know, like like why is it okay to, to steal my film and put it up for free? You're a plumber. I don't, I don't ask you to come over to my house and fix my sink right, for free. Right, right. Why, why is it okay for you to steal my livelihood? Right. And I think it's that case for a lot of things, man, for music as well, yeah. you know, in, in, in a lot of cases and, and for pornography as well. Right. You know, a lot of it, 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 you know, it's just the, the businesses have just, you know, it's really have changed a lot. You know, it's hard to, 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 to sort of uh, get, get the, the accolades and the rewards, especially financially. You know? It's like to say that I have the uh, jewel, I take a jewel box version of all ages from when it came out in 2000. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have that. So yeah. Uh, yeah um, it was awesome. It, yeah. That, that DVD package, we took a lot of care right, to, right. to put that DVD package together. We wanted to make it like an old fanzine. Like right. a lot went into that and we gambled and, and we won because we 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 weren't sure, but we figured, and it turned out to be right that hardcore kids still want to hold something in their hands. Oh yeah, right? yeah. You know, well, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what what gets lost right now is you know I can remember when I got my first records, and that was just something I loved to do was just look through oh, the sure. artwork and the liner notes and the time that someone took to be able to hold it. Uh, and a lot of that gets lost now, which is well, we've talked about this many times. Is that you know. Back in the day, you go to the record store to look at the records and 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 see who you know the artwork was a big part of it and who produced it and it was it was a whole um, element that is from a bygone era now when mm-hmm. people just oh it's out now I'll listen to it on fucking Spotify or whatever whereas you go down to the record store on a Tuesday and like you pour over it like what does it mean like oh my god was, you know like. Things change, man, and then things change again, and then they yep. change again, and yep. like, fuck it, man. Like, one thing I can't stand is when people go on about the back in the day bullshit, man. I can't stand that. You know, it's like, you know, these are the good times, man, and 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 this is what's happening. Today's what's happening. Yeah. Right. You know, right. fuck all that shit about yesterday. Right. You know, I mean, and this is from a documentary filmmaker, <laughs> you know, which is sort of ironic, but. I think you understand what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what Matt was saying before, like, and we talked a bit about in, in, on the podcast is it, you know, came up a little bit at the end. Um, but we're seeing it in other, you know, the next episode we're doing is a, it's a Chicago, uh, documentary called, uh, you weren't there. And it's heavy. It's, there's a narrative in there. That's very heavy about like, you know, this was our scene. You weren't there. You weren't there. Uh, Uh, and it's just like too much. Like after a while, it's like, all right, we've yeah. done two hours of this. Like, we, there there was something else. Like, we're still doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's just well, a little you, bit too you, heavy you on did, that. You did touch on in your review, which I think was a really, really, um, well, was it in the film or was it? We'll take credit for anything. <laughs> well, 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 the Boston hardcore film, I, I think it was said in the film, but but I think someone in a review said it is is like, Yo, this isn't re- in a certain way. It's really not about the Boston hardcore scene. It's about every scene. And said, like, yeah, was, yeah. Right. Yeah, and that, that and that 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 as 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 a filmmaker, it's always 
what's the bigger picture? Like, like, you know, it's not so much, it's not about the Boston hardcore scene. It's about the whole scene in every little, you know, town, every town in America. This isn't unique. Yeah, you guys are right. The flyers, is, it's not unique, but, but, but that's what, part of the appeal is that people can relate to it. Mm -hmm. It's not some unique, oh, it just happened here and, and, and never right. before. And, and this is me, this is my take on it, is the key to, to a successful film, the way I look at it, uh, the kind of films I make is, what's the bigger, what's the bigger story here? What's the bigger picture? Like the story of Anvil. You know, the story of mm -hmm. Anvil is not about, it's not about the band Anvil. It's about the friendship between these two guys in Anvil that endure through the years. You know, the Michael, who, um, the film I directed, Who the Fuck is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Lago is not about the guy who signed Metallica, you know, it, 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 even though that's the jewel in his crown. It's about someone that regardless of his incredible handicap growing up, a gay kid, a Hasidic neighborhood, dad wasn't around. He just loved music. And that's something that we all can, that touches all of us. And I have a belief that that's the reason that film was so successful is because people look at that and go, hey, that's me. I, I love music too. Right. And, and like, I'm this, I'm, that, I'm this person. I'm this, I, I, I get it. Right. And, and that's what it's about, man, to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, so we, we like, I think some of that maybe like we agree. I think I am speaking for Pete now, but we agree yeah. like the, the way all, like when we talk about all ages and upcoming episodes, we do see like, there's a way you get the spirit of what it's like to be putting on shows and doing shit. Like yeah. the whole, like your, your, your movie gets closer than any of these other ones to what doing DIY is like. Oh, you fucking spirit. see that now. You watched a few of the mother's fucking films. You see that now. Yeah. Listen, when, Listen when you, yeah, I, I, I saw films come out after this and I, I and I was be like, really? Like there are some films that seem to ape this format verbatim. And I'm just like, really, you know, be unique, man. Go do your own thing, man. Yeah, right. You know, it's like, and, and, and like, whatever, listen, I'm not, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here that much, but, but, you know, and, and listen, there's, there's only so many, so many ways you can go with this, you know, but, but, you know, I got out of the gate early on with this film and, and the one thing, and, and I give Dwayne Lucia, the, the executive producer credit too, like, yo, we made this film and we put it out. We didn't fuck, boom, we did it. Yo, he's a real taskmaster. You know, we, we, we did it. We got it. We finished it. We we put it in the, the we put it in the, uh, the the film festival. We made the DVDs. We sold the DVDs. We did some screenings. We like got it the fuck right out the fuck out there because films some some films stall out and die on the vine. You know. Right. Yeah. Did you, you guys you, did you guys review Salad Days yet? That's coming up. This we, we've 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 done the episode. We haven't really. That's going to be like maybe like a month from now to come that's out. That's Scott's film, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing the DOA film now. That's yeah, right. that looks pretty cool. And yeah, uh, yeah. Joey's coming on my show. Yeah. Oh, awesome. oh, nice. And Scott also did the Cream documentary. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I consider I, I consider Scott like a a, uh, a peer. Right. Yeah. You know? That's a good one too. That has like a narrative. Just you know, like there's like which which one? The 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 Salad Days movie. Yeah. 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 
he, he did a good job with it. I thought yeah. it was it was familiar. I thought it was is similar to the Boston mm-hmm. hardcore film, but yeah. but it was good. I felt it was a little too long, but yeah. but 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 it was good. He, he did a good job, and he's he's a good you know he 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 does good. Did you he, do the Agnostic Front film yet? Not yet. Not. Not yet. That's, that's yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So that was one of our, so two more questions that we wanted to ask, like, like we're like, like to maybe wrap it up is like, so I was going to ask this second, but I'll ask it first because you're already asking it. What besides your movies, which we're going to do. So we're not like, but what, 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 give us, give us a, what what do you think? What's, what's a, a movie like a, maybe not something we should do. Just tell us some of your favorite kind of like music documentaries that you've, you know, like you said, you're, you're watching a lot of these. They don't even have to be hardcore ones. Like what are some oh, music? Right, 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 right. The twisted sister documentary. Oh, I have not seen that one. I have Bro, not seen them. I loved it. Okay. I loved it. I really loved it. It was, it was um, really, really touching and heartfelt. And you see how hard these guys struggled for so long and how, they talk about DIY, you know, those guys, Twisted Sister is more hardcore punk rock than 99% of these clowns out there. Yeah. I mean, they really, that, 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 that film really, um, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. I enjoyed the, um, the Amazon, um, I forgot what it's called, the Grateful Dead five-part documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really good. Um, but, you know, you see... Once in a while, we'll get to see a documentary where they had the proper elements and money behind it. I could see a documentary as opposed to like I was laughing about like these crummy documentaries, like I'll watch them all. But once in a while, you get a doc where like the band's on board, they got the money and you know, like, wow, this is as good as it's going to get. Right. Like right. there's nothing like, Hey, you look at my film, Al Burrill's not in it. You know, wish we had this footage, but sometimes you see a doc where you're like, wow, like it's all there, you know? And, 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 and then the problem with some films like that is it turns out to what, what's known as like a Valentine, you know, or a puff piece right. where like, you know, the artist is like the Eagles documentary or the Chicago documentary, which I, you know, you know, so uh, you got to watch that, but let me think. What else did I really? I, I love the Twisted Sister one. Um, I mean, the Grateful Dead thing. I, I, the Grateful Dead thing was very educational. Like, if if you have know nothing about the Grateful Dead, those five are very tragic. It, it, and it's got like that's what I mean. It, it had the elements behind it. It had like the dead. Yeah. So it's like wow, you know. Is that one of? Is that the Valentine? Or was the Grateful Dead one a Valentine? No, no. Okay. No, they deal with the real harsh reality of, of how the, the band's demise. They don't pull any punches in the end. You, you, it's, it's an incredible story. They, they were, it's an incredible story how that band started, where they went, and how they ended up. It's like, it's a, it's a fucking tragedy, you know? Um, what, other, what other docs have I seen that I really, um, that, that um, what else? Um, Twisted Sister one I loved. Um, I hear you know what I hear. I haven't watched, but Anthrax is got um, something online uh, instead oh. of instead of doing um, like a film because I did mention to him like yo when are we doing the Anthrax documentary? They <laughs> went and did like like I think like a, an eight part, fifteen minute you know and and they're releasing it and they got everybody in it and I hear that's that's very good. 
Huh. You know, they're mixing it up. You see, they're not trying to go down the traditional route. Let's make a documentary. Let's try to sell it. That's what I wanted to do. I neglected to say with the New York Hardcore Chronicles film was originally I wanted it to be a series and not a film. So then I had to make an adjustment to sort of tone it down and make it a film. Was I was I am I remembering incorrectly? Because I thought I remember seeing some of the New York New York Hardcore Chronicles like interviews on YouTube before the movie was out. Was that right? Am I right about that? Well, what, what happened, what happened was um, for, for a while before the film, I would do these New York Hardcore Chronicles, 10 questions. Yeah. Okay. And that was going on before I started the film. And then when I was doing the film, if I was interviewing, let's say, you know, John Joseph, you know, I would interview him for the film and then go, let's do 10 questions. Mm -hmm. And then I would release the 10 questions right away, sort of chumming the waters for the film. And that's part of, I mean, that film was just an incredible success. And, and, you know, that's part of the reason is I, I, I just, I, I was putting out all this original material and building this incredible fan base, which rolled into the show that I do now, the New York hardcore Chronicles live, because all of that, all the, all the subscribers on YouTube, all the people on the Facebook page, when I decided to do this show, that was all in place. And now the show's a success. It, it, it's, it, does, it's, it does very well and it pays my rent and bills and, and people love it. And, and I'm very, very fortunate. And that wasn't part of the plan. And, <laughs> and in a way, it's interesting because talk about the acting thing. My new film, you know, I'm on camera, I'm hosting it. It's my musical journey. You know, I'm, it's like, it's come full circle. I'm, I'm like the on-camera personality, you know, all these, all these years later. And when the film is done, we're going to be pitching it as, as a show. So, you know, that might be the next evolution here, you know? You, you, you want to, go ahead. Peter. Yeah, I was going to ask if you, you know, tell us a little about that. What's that? Is there a title to it? What is that? Yeah. The, well, the, the working title, it seems like, well, the working title, and, and that's what it's, it might be. Uh, it's called The Jews and the Blues. And uh, it's really um, about my musical journey, uh, which to the Middle East, and it um, becomes a bit of my spiritual journey. Huh. And, you know, I've always um, loved uh, blues music and um, uh, been sort of a, a, uh, uh, a scholar. And like I, me I mentioned, um, Alan Lomax before, you know, like real early, I, I, I like, I, I've always, I really like early blues stuff and, and I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable about that. And at a certain point I, um, got, I, I got inspired, um, the, the movie went through a couple of, uh, of early sort of incarnations before it arrived here. But basically I heard there's like all this blue stuff going on in Israel. And I was like, let's find out what this is about. So it's really my musical journey over there to, to find it. And, and in the process of that musical journey, I basically find that like for a lot of people, the three of us included music is our spirituality and our religion. And mm -hmm. it's the tie that binds us together. Yeah. And that's what my new film is about. Very sounds cool. pretty great. When, yeah, it, it is. It's a cool film, man. It, it, it's, it, it's very cool. And it's, like I said, it, it's in a way it's like Anthony Bourdain 
on music. And when and we're going to end up pitching this as a series where, you know, hey, this this week we're in, you know, New Orleans, you know, uh, looking, you know, finding the roots of jazz. And this week we're in London, birth punk, you know, and it would be a show where I travel the world and seek out like the origins of, of this music. And it'll be like a little bit of travelogue and a little bit of food. And, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know, but my brother, Evan, Evan, Evan B. Stone is uh, the cinematographer for Expedition Unknown on the History Channel. Oh, okay. And, yeah. So, and, and before that, you know, he did, um, you know, uh, Finding Bigfoot and Naked and Afraid and all oh, yeah, that yeah. stuff. <laughs> and so, he, him and him and I co-direct, you know, we both worked on this film together. So it has, there's definitely a, there's like this, there is a progression here from the Boston hardcore film to the, to the New York hardcore Chronicles film, to the Alago film, to the Jews and the blues, you know, there's, and that's why I kept saying, well, I think, I think it's time to cycle out after this because that moment's gone, you know, like a film like the Boston hardcore film would I it doesn't ha I don't know if it, it makes sense to make a film like that now mm -hmm. everybody's done a film about their scene now man everybody hey we lived in you know we lived in you know Tulsa like whatever yeah. and, and, and and God bless them all right but you know after a while it, it's sort of like yeah okay we, we we've kind of heard this before you know want to look for 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 unique things but you know, hopefully, you know, the new film will, will, will get out there. And, and, and I also have a dramatic script. You know, I want, I want, to, want, to, want to, you know, call Finders Keepers. And I, I'd like to direct a, a dramatic script and, and, and do, some, do some other stuff. I have, a, I have a little bit of momentum right now, you know. And yeah. You, you got to sort of got to parlay that when, 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 it's, uh, when it's happening, you know. Right. And then there's the whole antidote thing and the whole antidote drama, you know. So there's right. a lot. Are you, yeah, you're, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say you're juggling a lot. I mean, is this going to... Will this be that? Do you think New York Hardcore Chronicles will continue as that other work ramps up, or do you feel feel like you'll stop doing those interviews? Well, it's my job now. Yeah, um, it's sort of like it pays my rent and bills. It's my job. Um, I, I do. I'm doing something I love. Um, but what I would like to see is it um, metamorphosize and sort of morph into um sort of the next thing right you know like the hope would be that um somebody uh, that the progression and i think it all and and, and we're heading in, we're heading in the right direction here with this is that yo it's called it's, it's called um you know proof of concept like hey i want to host a, show, a music show you know taking me around the world well here's 150 um Here's 150 episodes of me hosting, talking to the, the, the biggest, some of the biggest music, you know, luminaries uh, on the planet. You know, so, you know, I, I think it I, or you would like to think someone might come along or, or it might be, hey, why don't, why don't you host a show on camera or or, you know, because what I'm doing now is very DIY. But yeah. there's a, but there's an inherent charm in that. You know, I fucking do my fucking show you know, from my fucking apartment and no, and nobody bothers me and I don't have to deal with anybody's bullshit. And, you know, it's like uh, working on a Don Johnson video. It goes back to that day. Like I have to do my own thing. Yeah. Like this isn't going to work. Well, the know? cool thing about the New York hard, you know, the web series that you're doing, uh, you know, when I was watching, it's like, you've got kids or people, whatever 
tuning in from all over the world. Yeah. Which is like, you know, when you think back to when you were living through what all ages is. Yeah. And the community, which was very insular, even That's though it right. was happening all over, but you know, you might call someone from across the country, but the idea that you can interview somebody and immediately all these people from around the world are just taking it in. And I think that's the other thing that was cool about all ages is, you know, I, I didn't have access to SSD records or Jerry's kids. And so watching that was kind of like, why haven't I heard these bands before? You know, like what it's just like, if you didn't know somebody who had that record before Spotify or, you know, whatever was out there, you weren't going to hear it or somebody made you a tape. So uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And, and, for whatever the reasons why those records weren't re-released or put out there, you know, that's, that's, that's not sure, me, sure. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that's not me, but the, the success of the New York hardcore Chronicles live, um, you know, the pandemic hit and I was down in Florida at my dad's, you know, and I was sort of, things were starting getting crazy. And I, I was a guest on someone else's show who, who does it on that platform and I sort of looked at it and I was with um, I was with my ex-wife at the time, you know, who's still family. And, and she mm-hmm. was staying with me and my dad. And she said, you know, you, you should you should do a hardcore show. And I, as we laugh about it, I was like, no, nah, I don't need that headache. Fuck that. <laughs> you know, fuck, I need that like I need a hole. And I fucking and I shouted her down. You know, <laughs> then then I <clears throat> I was on this guy's show. And I was like, well, this is interesting. You know, what platform is this? StreamYard? And, and then he said, you know, um, subscribe to my channel. And so he's like, I need more people on my channel. And I look on his channel and his channel has like, you know, a couple hundred subscribers. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Stone Films NYC, because I did all those 10 questions for all those years, has almost 10 thousand subscribers yeah and then he's like yeah i asked him a couple questions yeah it it streams live on youtube and on facebook i'm like really he's like yeah and i'm like on your personal facebook page okay what does he got he got a couple thousand i'm like well wait a second the new york hardcore chronicles page has (laughs) ninety thousand people so that sort of inspired me to I'll launch the show and I'll put it out on those two platforms. So I start the show and I know it's in the middle of the, it's not in the middle, in the beginning. I figured this out right off the bat, like pandemic started, woke up the next morning. Okay. It got this going, right? Yo, the first numbers were coming in and I was like, wait, this can't be right. This many people cannot be watching this. You tell me 5,000 people just watch this fucking thing. That's crazy. And, and, but then, I realized that, and this is just random. I thought, well, what time should the show be? All right, three o'clock in the afternoon. Who's watching the show? And in the chat room, and I go, hey, where are you guys? You know, people say, Europe. Yeah. Three o'clock over here is prime time in Europe. And I'm like, yo, send me pictures. How are you people watching this thing? You know, I'm like sitting here on a laptop in my dad's kitchen, <laughs> right, at the time. And people start sending me pictures. They're in their living room, huge, huge widescreen TV, and, and people watching it with their friends, with their family, with their kids, with their dinner, and they're watching me on this giant screen. I'm like, wow, 
I'm really, this is great. <laughs> and then I started a Patreon page. I started a merch line. I monetized the YouTube page and sponsorship came aboard. And there you go. And, and people want to do the show. You know, all those connections I made from all those years, all those bands that I worked with, all those music videos I did, you know, um, people, you know, come back around and, and, you know, and then, you know, once you, you know, I landed a couple of big fish like Moby and, and, you know, some of the big boys and then some of the other big boys see that and they're like, oh, wow, you know, shit, well, Moby and, and John Joseph and, and, you know, Jamie from Hatebreed and, you know, these guys have sold millions of records right. and they come, they come on the show. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, it like, awesome. it's like DIY in the digital age, you know, like yeah. you figured it out yeah. how to do it in a different way, but yeah. it's still like true to what you want to do. Exactly. And it's, yeah, just being inventive, like, well, just because someone else hasn't done it doesn't mean like, why not? You know, it's the same shit. Nothing's changed. Right. Get up, get out, make it happen. Mm -hmm. It's total DIY, you know, and I've had offers to put it into a studio with one sponsor. But what does that mean? I got to travel down to a studio there's not going to be any live audience, any live chat room. I have one sponsor. You know what? I'd rather do the show in my underwear in my house. <laughs> Fuck it. I don't got nothing. To, you know, like, yeah. I mean, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to keep it. I'm not trying to keep it. Uh, you know, how do you yeah. say it? You know, you're not, you're not being precious about the whole thing, right? Like, you're not like, yeah, I mean, yeah. but I'm not trying to keep it stupid either, right. but like, Listen, I've been around the merry-go-round enough, you know, and been burned enough by, you know, these Hollywood motherfuckers. It's like, you know, th there's, there's something can be said about, you know, keeping control of it and doing it and, and being able to do your own thing, you know, how you want, when you want. And, and you know, you don't want to go down with the ship. And, and like I said, I hope, my hope and my, my aspiration and my dream is that this is going to lead into you know the next thing and there's going to be proof of concept that oh wow oh this is that guy oh yeah obviously he can host a show he just did 150 episodes right. with with people like yeah. you know blah 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 so right. that that's hopefully where the whole thing's going you know yeah awesome that's awesome all yeah, right that's really awesome on, on that <laughs> note um well thank you th drew thank good you luck, so good much good luck editing all this <laughs> You know, we might you might you might just get a two hour episode. Uh, all, all the all the fans out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. I don't know if anybody has the patience for that, but you know. Yeah. You, yeah. You you'd imagine. I mean, you'd be surprised. Some of the yeah. podcasts out there, like five hours. It's like what? Have you seen this? Like the five hour podcast? No. Yeah. Oh, there's there's like some a, out there that are long. So our podcast, you know, like our Not our ours. brand. Or is being kind of goofy and like lighthearted about this shit, you know? Like, I, I mean, I watched it. I mean, your thing. What was that? An hour and a half? Hour, but that's we, yeah. we edited. We edited our conversations down. But there's a lot of there's a lot of punk podcasts out there. They're like three, four, sometimes five hours. Yeah, they lose it, man. Yep. To me, to me, that's why my show always is it, it is formatted. I think I think after a while, you, you know, people, you know, you sort of you, you dilute it you know you can only yeah. make you can only make dinner for so long you know what i mean like you know. <laughs> well, send me a link send me a link when this goes up we'll and do. you got to have me back oh we will we, we, we got to do we got to do the alago film well without without question and we could bring a logo i'll bring a logo too oh that'd be awesome, that'd be yeah, awesome. i'll bring a logo <laughs> that would and, be pretty awesome okay. yeah no he'll he'll do it he'll, he'll do it awesome. and um and if you ever get to the new york hardcore chronicles film I'm oh, that'll really, happen too. I'm yeah. really proud of that film, man. 
That film is fucking great. It's a good movie. We, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. great movie. We've seen it too. Yeah. So yeah, it's but, really good. We, we're well, season two, season three. We're we're starting to film <laughs> season two, so we'll let you know. Uh, you guys, let me know if there's anything I could do, man. Same here. Yeah, All Drew. Right. We really All appreciate right. it. This is great. My pleasure. Good All night, right. you guys. Thanks. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Okay, bye. See you.